0: hello everybody and um, happy new week we are uh, heading towards a new moon which is going to be pretty interesting in the next weekend and this is uh my last i think it's my last uh yeah my last Let's say podcast for this season from LA. We're gonna have three more: eh, one from Bulgaria, one from Turkey, and one from—I mean, one from Istanbul and one from uh, Fethiye, which is in the south of Turkey. Which I will do in the evenings there in order to uh, fit the time zone. And then after forty, like last year, we're gonna have a little break in August and uh, July, part of August, and then return in August twenty-third. But we'll talk about it more. But anyway. Uh, we are, I'm actually flying tonight to Sofia, not tonight, even a few hours, actually. So I know that I'm going to see some of you there in my readings, in my workshops. And um, if you are in Bulgaria, you can check out on my Instagram. It's the last post I think I put about uh, the classes I'm going to be leading there and we're going to do some new classes in bulgaria so if you are in sofia we're definitely going to do something new we're going to do a class on peter denub and uh, the great master that came out of bulgaria the last it was the 19th century end of 19th century beginning of 20th century it created the white brotherhood it was part of the theosophical society Emergence that started in England all the way in the middle of the 19th century when Neptune was discovered, 1846 approximately. And um, it spread all over the world and, of course, reached Bulgaria. And from Bulgaria, it uh, spread also to other places. So, we're going to have a class about astrology and how he viewed astrology and how astrology was very permanent in his life. So, if you're around, if you know people in Sofia, uh, definitely join us. And I, I i think it was, I think it's also offered on uh, a webinar. So if you are interested, of course, there's going to be Bulgarian translation, but I'm going to be talking in English, obviously. So I hope I see some of you there. And I plan from there to go to Istanbul, from Istanbul to uh, a hillside beach club. If you guys are uh, in Turkey, you probably know the place. I go there once a year to give workshops Uh, So, maybe I'll see some of you there, synchronicity willing, and then from there to Zurich to visit the Limat and uh, uh, do some workshop, I think I'm going to do one workshop there, but mainly readings, then to London, then to Edinburgh In London, I have uh, all of the classes available also in webinar, we're going to talk about sacred spaces, we're going to talk about astrology, we're going to have a past lifetime regression. Uh, So, and we're going to have the whole training of a day on the tarot card. So if you want to join, that is also a webinar and it's going to be possible to do it online. The only thing is you're going to have to bring your set of cards or have a set of cards. And we're going to work with the Toth deck, but the Rider deck, any kind of traditional uh, tarot deck will work for you. Then I'm going to go to Edinburgh from Edinburgh to Finhorn. If you know that place, it's like the SLN or the Omega of uh, Scotland or UK uh, we're going to do a whole training on how to read the chart. Uh, that's not going to be on a webinar, but when I'm back on August 23rd, we're going to start an eight-week uh, Zoom uh, webinar about how to read your chart. So we're going to have eight weeks dedicated to understanding doing your chart. So you can do that on the webinar or come to Scotland and do it in person. Uh, we're going to have a weekend there, the 21st, 24th of July. I guess it's a month and a half from now. Jeez. And from there, I'm going to go to Tel Aviv and back again uh, to Sofia at the end of the journey. So I will see you from many different places. And uh, what I wanted to talk today about is, of course, what's going to happen the next week, which will start right away. And uh, then we'll talk about a concept that I've been reading about lately and how it might be related to astrology, because I started writing the 2024 book. Um, and it's not that bad next year. I mean, unless we make it really bad, it has a little bit of a layover of 2023. I've noticed that sometimes years are kind of self-sufficient and sometimes year just like tag along to the other year. It's almost like some kids that are very attached to their mama and some kids that like to explore. So 2024 is kind of a, a kid that likes to expl- that likes to actually follow the mama uh, because 2024 is gonna be starting off a, a kind of interesting kind of strange but I'll talk about it in the book definitely and I have to kind of figure out what I want to say uh, and even I didn't come up with a title yet of so 2024 you know sometimes it comes with a title uh, like I had for 2019, 18, 19, 2021. 20, but this one is kind of flimsy. It's um, it's um, mobile. It's like uh, wobbling around. And I think that that will probably be the nature of the year, the 2024, the wobbly year. But anyway, uh, we'll talk more about it as we get closer to 2024. We still have to deal with 2023. And uh, what I'll do today is start talking first on the what we can expect from this next week. So as you can see today, if you're looking at the Zoom, you can see the chart again uh, for you guys on Instagram. You can sign in through my bio, and then you're going to get the recorded from the Zoom, so at least you can see the chart. And what we um, have today is the moon in Pisces slash moon in Aries. So the moon is moving, actually, and it's moving on top of Neptune. This is a day of dreaming, a day of meditation, a day of uh, intuition. Anything to do with imagination and imagery is very strong. And also today, what happened is Mercury for the next three weeks has moved into a Gemini his own sign so he was in Taurus for the last three weeks so if you felt you're a little bit more heavy or your communication is a little bit more sluggish or it's uh too grounded in a sense or that there is some uh, feeling that mm, you're right so if uh no that's too late for that i forgot to record but i'm recording it's okay no no problem so um if you felt it's a little bit more heavy or a little bit more delayed in many ways it is because of the moon in taurus which is the five of disc which is called in the tarot card worry Uh, and it's a lot of time worry about money worry about very practical pragmatic things now mercury is moved into gemini he doesn't have time to worry he is connecting so the next three four weeks is a time of putting things together uh, connecting, um, building bridges, translating. So it's kind of interesting. I'm I'm going now to Sofia, and I'm gonna have a translator attached. So that's a good sign. Uh, Mercury in Gemini. We're gonna lead us for two weeks, three weeks, actually, while the sun is in Gemini, which is actually very positive. The sun and the and Mercury never go very far from each other. Don't forget that the closest uh, planet to our star, our solar disk is Mercury. So he can't be that far away. Any chart you open, you're not going to have the sun opposite to Mercury. That's impossible. Or the sun squaring Mercury or the sun trining Mercury. That is impossible. The sun never, the Mercury never travels too far away from the sun. Even in Hebrew, uh, the word for the sun, Shemesh is also Chama, which basically means to heat up or the hot one. And the closest, uh, Planet to it. Mercury is called the star of the Hama, the star of the sun, in a sense, even though it's not a star, it's a planet. But in, in Hebrew, there's no discre- there's no difference between a planet and a star. Planet, by the way, are those things that move around the skies. Star or what appear to be fixed, obviously they're moving just as much, and planet is called even named uh, after the wandering in uh, or the word for wandering in Greek. So the idea is that Mercury never strays too far away from the sun. His job, his job is to be the messenger. Therefore, he can't be uh, walking too far away from the message because the sun is definitely the message of the solar system. So. Mercury in Gemini, the sun in Gemini at least for the next ten year ten ten days until leading up to the uh, uh solstice we're going to have Mercury leading the way with the sun, everything has to do with putting things together, writing, communicating, coming up with great ideas, uh, having this dual processor capacity. You can work on one thing while thinking about the other thing. It's like we're multitasking in a sense. So that is leading us now for the next few weeks. And again, Mercury moving into Gemini is very positive, especially because we have Venus It's going to be in Leo for a mighty long time, because don't forget, Venus is going to start retrograding in about a month and uh, 10 days or so, and she's going to stay in Leo for a long time because she's going to go back and forth, back and forth in Leo, uh, all the way up until, I think, the first part of October. So that's going to be a long time for Venus to be in dramatic Leo, but it's good. Venus is the goddess of love. She's in the sign of romance and love, and even now, Mars, uh, her secret lover, is in Leo. So along with Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. So having so much Leo activity while Mercury and the sun is in Gemini is great because it creates a sextile. It creates basically an understanding between communication, uh, like we said, ruled by Mercury, and the message Leo, which is ruled by the sun. So that idea of the sun and Mercury coming together, especially the sign of Mercury and the sign of the sun, especially for the next week, is actually very, very positive. It's going to give some clarity in the mind. It's going to give an ability to think better, to write better, to communicate better, to travel better, maybe uh, to meet interesting people and the other thing that's going on right now is Uranus sitting. No, Uranus is still in Taurus. It's the 20 degrees Taurus, but it's still you know, going to be there. Uh, and the other thing that's happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is the fact that we're moving away from the weekend where we had the moon in uh, Pisces and moving into Aries. Always when there is a transition between Pisces and Aries, it's the story of Exodus coming out of the oppression or the slip or the um, droughty kind of energy into a call to action. Action. Um, the horn, the ram horns, are being heard, and the and the and the troops are gathering to conquer something new. So it, it happens every month. Of course, uh, it's going to be very dramatic uh, next year and the year after when Neptune is going to be moving into Aries after being in Pisces in 2012. So again, whenever a planet or a, or a satellite, if we're talking about the moon, uh, or the star, if we're talking about the sun, moving from Pisces to Aries, it's a big um, I would say celebration, but it's a big occurrence. So don't forget when it happens every year, we're talking about the spring equinox, which is the astrological new year, a very auspicious time. Uh, Every month it happens, like it's going to happen today and tomorrow, that the moon is moving from Pisces into Aries and kind of from water into fire, from the womb into life. So that happens. And of course, when we're going to see Neptune moving next year and the year after from Pisces into Aries, after being for so long into Pisces, that's going to be a big, big dramatic change and a big awakening. It's almost as if uh, Neo is taking the red planet, moving a red uh, pill, moving from the blue pill, which is war and the Pisces energy into the red pill, which is the color of Aries, which is the call to action. It's the call to adventure. It's the awakening. So a mini one like that is going to happen to us from today to tomorrow. Monday is Sunday, Monday. And then we're going to have it all the way up until Tuesday. This shake up, this feeling like I need to get up. I need to move. And of course, if we look tomorrow at what's going on, June, no, that's an hour. I want a day. If we look at June 12th, we see that the moon is deep already in Aries and Like we said, it's going to be trining, Venus trining, Mars, that's actually very, very positive. And it does talk about a connection. And first of all, for women, it's going to be very clear and very good because the moon and Venus are related to feminine energies. Women are the older women, you can say Venus are the younger women, Uh, or it could also mean not necessarily women, also uh, artistic people or people who you who create or people who work with the earth, you know, all these feminine elements, or people who work in healing. So you can be a very macho doctor, you still could be benefiting from that moon and venus because your job is to heal to nurture to take care of so anything like that tomorrow is really good monday even tuesday because the moon and venus trining the moon and mars trining the moon and uh, even the black moon is trining so even the witch or not the witch uh, the mother of demons is behaving very nicely and of course minerva uh, which is the goddess of wisdom so definitely tomorrow is a very, very auspicious time with that all these trines. You can see on the in the chart that I'm, I'm showing you that there's a lot of blue energy for a change. And blue is about compassion. It's about flow. It's about bridge opening. It's about um, clarity. And it is about opportunities opening up for you. So definitely Monday, Tuesday should work really, really well for most people. And the other thing that's interesting now is that combination of... Uh, the black moon on top of um, Minerva. Minerva is an asteroid. The black moon is a, basically a point in the sky, or you can say it's the part of the moon that we, does not face us. It's almost as if uh, mommy is turning her head, her her face from us. So that's the black moon. And when they are one on top of each other in Leo, it's kind of interesting because uh, Minerva is considered to be very good for us. It's, uh, it's Athena. It's the goddess of just war. Um the, the, Lilith is always associated with a misunderstanding, with a projection of negativity, with bad spells or all that kind of stuff. So having them both one on top of each other uh, is interesting, but the fact that they are linked to the moon tomorrow and to Kiron, the wounded healer, is actually very, very positive. So it could mean that some of your dark side or or maybe it's a good day to do some shadow work to really go deep into your shadow and to communicate your sh- with your shadow to see what kind of gifts your shadows might actually have for you and to dive into your fears to see where they originated from because maybe that black moon being on top of Minerva, the goddess of just wars, allows you to not wage war against your shadow but at least understand where it's coming from and getting the wisdom to really be there and experience your shadow and therefore be able to let go of it or to retrieve some of your gifts from it. So again, the moon, Chiron, both of them sending a beautiful trine to Mars, to Venus, to Black Moon, to Athena is very positive actually. And it's going to give us a a lot of good energies, especially because again, we have 30% of the chart in fire. There's a lot of energies also in air. So there's a lot of movement happening. Again, Monday, Tuesday, a good time to initiate things, to start things. We don't have Mercury retrograde, even though the moon is waning. Again, you can look at things that you want to give to start, which needs, at least in the beginning, some releasing, some cutting out, some letting go. If we look at uh, June 13, which is a Tuesday, we have the moon still in Aries, very strong, sending beautiful energy again to Venus, to Mars, to uh, Minerva, to the black moon. That's still going on. Uh, The sun is in Gemini. Mercury is sending pretty good energy in Gemini as well. You know, there's not that much drama. Uh, There is, though, a square forming towards the end of the week, which is going to be peaking in the uh, new moon which is a little bit irritating. It's Neptune squaring the sun. Uh, So Neptune squaring the sun uh, happens about four times, three times, let's say two times a year uh, when the sun is squaring um, Neptune. Neptune is now at the end of um, Gemini, sorry, at the end of uh, Pisces. The sun is heading towards the end of Gemini. That's for, by default, some kind of a clash uh, between them. We're going to have the same thing happening to us uh, around uh, October, Nove- November, actually. Yeah, much more in November, uh, when uh, the sun is going to be opposite to where it is right now, creating another of these squares. And the squares with Neptune talks about deception, illusions, uh, confusion, a certain element of losing yourself with somebody or someone, or even losing yourself in a mission. Boundaries are being kind of diffused in a sense. It's a a little bit tougher to understand who you are, especially because the sun represents self-expression. It's squaring Neptune. It's causing us to doubt who we are, uh, to maybe absorb how other people see us, and not everybody sees us in the best way. So just to be a little bit more aware uh, towards the end of this week, Uh, what's going to happen. It's going to leak a little bit more towards even next week. But this is the hardest aspect that's happening, a square between Mercury, the sun and neptune that affects your self-expression affects how you are seeing yourself or how other people seeing you and because neptune is involved in one sense yes it could trigger a little bit more mystical experiences a feeling more connected to intuition even but even that intuition might be a little bit off might not be the right time for it Uh, there again could be some struggles even with a father figure or a boss that might get sick or might make you sick so just to pay a little bit more attention we'll talk about it more towards the the day of friday and saturday but you start feeling it already uh, on tuesday Um, tuesday besides that it's a very good day for communication we have still mercury and pluto sending beautiful energy to each other mercury a Pluto and Vesta, the goddess of the hearth, that is sending good vibes. And again, Saturn is still sending very good energies to the North Node and the South Node, meaning that there's a lot of karma being downloaded right now. If we look at June 14, which is a Wednesday, we have the moon moving into the sign of exaltation. Taurus, and we're having another little injection of Taurus. Remember, every time now the moon is going to move into Taurus, it's going to create something. Why? Because we have Vesta in Taurus, Uranus in Taurus, Jupiter in Taurus, and and the North Node in Taurus, at least until July 13. So until July 13, we are. Wait. Yeah, in June 13th. Until July 13, we have every time the moon comes once a month to Taurus, she kind of brings up that volcano Taurus activity, which has to do with connection to money, talent, self-worth, sensuality, the five senses, luxury, wanting to pamper myself, wanting to uh, connect much more to Mother Nature, to Earth. So we have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, really good times uh, to connect to Mother Nature, to connect to the Earth, and that is because... We have quite a lot of energies uh, going on there uh, with the moon being on top of Jupiter, especially on uh, June 14. That has to do with positive energy around finance and around Mother Nature. And again, the moon of success, especially when it's on top of Jupiter, uh, it's really rare. I mean, Jupiter is in Taurus every 12 years for one year and this is going to be once a month now up until may 26 of 2024 when we have the moon and jupiter come together it's really really positive especially when it's happening together once in 12 years in the sign of exaltation taurus mother nature art design colors finance sensuality so that energy is really guiding us and the moon in Wednesday, June 14, very positive because it touches Jupiter and the North Node. Uh, the only thing is that if we move to the 15, the June, uh, June 15, sorry, it is going to be Thursday. The moon is still in Taurus Exalted, touching Vesta, which is great, especially to work with women, to work with your home, to work with family, to work with uh, people you consider family. The only thing is the moon is on top of Uranus, unpredictability. So Thursday, just watch yourself a little bit. There is kind of like crazy, unpredictable energy there. And there could be some A fluctuation of energy. It's an awakening of something that has to do with your home, your family, your emotional energy. But at the same time, it can create um, a little bit of a roller coaster, breaking away from parental influence, having some unexpected issues with a woman, a mother boss, a woman in the family. Uh, So just to watch it a little bit. And uh, Venus is now um, coming closer and closer and closer to Mars. I remember when I was writing the book of 2023, I was like, aching for venus to touch mars because it's the ultimate aspect of relationship we're going to have it next year in 2024 but this year she's about to touch and then she starts going backward it's almost like she's so fascinated with uh, mars she's coming closer to him closer to him and then suddenly she decides you know what uh, this is not working for me and then she goes backward away from mars and by the time she comes back uh, mars is already gone And I have to wait until next year. But anyway, we're going to have Venus in Taurus, Mars in Taurus, eh, sorry, Venus in Leo, Mars in Leo, the black moon in Leo, Vesta in Leo. And because the sun is in Gemini, at least for the next six days, it is actually very positive for us. And the best will happen actually when in um, Friday, June 16, the moon is moving into Gemini. And then we have really a stellium, you can say, in Gemini coming in the weekend because we're going to have the moon in Gemini, Mercury in Gemini, the sun in Gemini, hence the new moon in Gemini. And uh, that's going to be a great time to put things together, to connect, especially whatever you need to achieve before the summer solstice if you're in the northern hemisphere uh, Winter Solstice of Southern Hemisphere that is coming to us June 21st. So the idea is that you're getting closer to one of the holidays of the year and the more you can accomplish, the better it is, especially something igniting this weekend. Uh, so it's actually very auspicious that I'm going to be teaching in Sofia, the goddess of wisdom at that time, because something new. So I didn't plan it like that. So it's always good to sit here and realize, oops, that's what I'm doing in that time. I guess I planned it right. Um, But the idea is that sometimes I always told you with the way to work with this thing is sometimes to look at it, to to write it down and to and to really try to use it in order to achieve the things that you want. And sometimes it's nice to just use your intuition and just decide I'm going to fly in this time and then see what is the uh, why you actually decided that. So this weekend. A new beginning, new beginning that has to do with writing, communication, networking, putting things together, looking at a different perspective, businesses, anything to do with healing your relationship with nephew, nephews, cousins, neighbors, uh, roommates, something opening up in a very, very good way. With relation to uh, communication, especially the keyword is I think, I write, I post, I text, uh, I retweet, you know, everything that has to do with that Gemini energy. So that's going to be very strong Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it's going to be peaking on Sunday on June 18 when we're going to actually have the new moon. The thing that I want you to pay attention on Saturday and Sunday is just that Mars is going to be on top of the black moon. That's not the easiest thing. It could mean aggression coming from slander, uh, acting a very aggressive way. way. So just pay attention to signs of war, conflict worldwide inside of you uh, around that time, Saturday and Sunday, because even though we're, we're starting to have that moon uh, closer and closer to the uh, uh, to the sun, and Gemini usually talks about trying to connect, trying to bridge, trying to uh, make words stick together and 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 connect in a sense and overcome conflict. Uh, we have that Mars on top of uh, the black moon. Not the easiest thing. That's happening literally Saturday and Sunday. So just watch it this weekend with enemies, with people um, uh, being very dark, being very cynical, very sarcastic. Try to avoid it yourself. And of course, you'll be less influenced by it. Another thing that's happening uh, this Saturday is that at the same time, Saturn, the Lord of Karma, is being stationary. And stationary always means pure force of that of that um uh, planet because think about it you know if there is a car racing by really fast uh, sometimes it's hard to tell the color how many people are inside uh, what type of car it is specifically or precisely you know but if the car stands still in front of you really standing still you can tell the color you can tell how many people are inside you can walk around it and see the uh the license plate number you can identify a lot of other things you know scratches little problems so that's what happened when the planet is stationary and planet is stationary. You see it for what it is. It's a pure force. It's not moving anywhere. So if you ordered an Uber and uh, it's stationary, you know, you get into the uh, car and it's not moving anywhere. So obviously it's not very good for us. It's better even if it goes backward or reversed or retrograde, but at least it's retrograding towards where I need to go. But when it's stationary, it's just sitting there. And that's why people that have, uh, if you guys have in your chart that, s either in black or in uh, a red black basically means the first day of um stationary red means the second day of stationary entering the stage the retrograde so it's like red alert red alert you're getting into state uh, into retrograde but saturn is going to be retrograding for for five months or four and a half months so it's going to lead us until almost the end of the year and It's just that Saturday and Sunday could be a little bit more intense in the sense of feeling more need to uh, uh, connect to discipline, persistence, endurance. It's not a bad time to sit Sit down and make a plan for the next uh, four or five months. And when Saturn is retrograde, the discipline uh, needs to come from inside of you. So obviously from Monday, next Monday, Saturn is going to be retrograde and it's going to dive you, make you go inside. And because it's in Pisces, into your subconscious, into your past lifetime, into imagination um, and, and everything that has to do with Saturn, which is discipline, persistence, endurance has to come from inside of you, outside. It's not going to be somebody there whipping you into action. You're going to have to whip yourself into action. Uh, That's, again, because Saturn is stationary. And he's doing it on the new moon. So it's kind of an interesting, it's a a new beginning, but we have to rely, we have to pay attention to the fact that Saturn is stationary while the new moon is happening, which means that there is a link between them, a new beginning of communication, but it has to be based on the past or tradition or uh, a long-term or things that will demand quite a lot of effort. Okay. That's because Saturn is going to be, stationary and on next sunday we have the new moon and the new moon is actually blessed by the north node and the south node and blessed by saturn so in that sense the new moon is actually very very positive the only problem like i told you that's really becoming much stronger monday the 19th is that uh, neptune squaring the sun And it's, again, it's leading us Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you feel a little bit more down, if you feel a bit more emotional, if you feel a bit more tired, if you feel a bit more sick, it makes sense. That's the Neptune squaring sun. And after that, uh, when on Sunday, Monday, the moon is moving into cancer, it's going to flow much easier, especially because it's going to break that square. So I hope it makes sense. Uh, I'm kind of in my head starting to think, okay, this is happening when I'm teaching this. This is happening when I'm going to the forest. This is happening when uh, uh, I'm going to be doing an interview. So it's kind of like um, interesting. This is definitely a very intense, interesting week that we're having. Um, And again, the most important thing to pay attention to is that square uh, that we mentioned. Now, if we look at, I think I... um, where are we yeah here so i think i i made a chart for the new moon so we can see what is the um what is the sabian symbol for it yes uh, these are the dates for the years uh, for the years for the next month uh, two months If you're around, in some places I still have uh, the ability to do some readings. And in Zurich, we just added a workshop, a past lifetime regression, on July 10th. But I'll send you guys information about it more. So um, I was reading this um, opinion by... by Thomas Friedman which I really like reading his stuff because I really trust what he says and uh, he actually speaks the languages of the people he's interviewing and he specializes in the new in the middle east and of course he has a very strong uh connection in the last 10 15 years I think to maybe even longer to uh a global warming and the climate change and all that so it's kind of an interesting uh, he always has very interesting perspective especially about the middle east which is his subject of interest but anyway He was going, uh, he was in Israel uh, recently, as you know, it's been the 22 weeks already that there is demonstration against the digital digital, um, uh, overhaul that they're trying to pass there. Basically, they're trying in Israel to make Israel, just like Hungary and getting into Poland, uh, what they call hollow democracy. It's people who are against democracy and against progression and against uh, the liberal uh, lifestyle that they come in and instead of destroying the democracy, which is what they used to do in the past, eh, people like Viktor Orban and so forth, they basically use democracy to disarm it in a sense and make it a shell, you know, make it like a fake, you can say, we're in the age of fake, a fake democracy. So they even try to do it here, by the way, in the United States, and it will stopped. Hopefully, it's not going to come back in 2024. But anyway, he actually interviewed a lot of the demonstrators there in the in the streets in Israel and tried to understand what are they really fighting for? Why are they coming week after week after week? I mean, 22 weeks, they're out there, 10, 000, tens of thousands of people. And one of the interesting things that he came up with, which is very relevant for us, is that a lot of the young demonstrators that were born after 1995, 1995, just to remind you, was a critical time in the Middle East, maybe in world history, when a fanatical, ultra-religious, ultra-nationalist Jew uh, shot down a Rabin, Prime Minister Rabin, who was about to finish or complete the peace treaty with the Palestinians. And um, he, he was even... Singing or basically reciting a song called the Song of Peace when he was uh, shot down, and even in the paper where the lyrics of that song of peace was, you could actually see the hole of the bullet with the blood eh, because he tucked it in his heart eh, before he uh, got murdered. Anyway, it's a very uh, tragic thing. If you go to Tel Aviv, eh, the whole square next to the city hall is named after him because of this incident, and in these demonstrations. People that were born again after the murder, because when uh, after Robin was murdered, Bibi Netanyahu came into power and the whole country shifted into the right. And it resulted in having now half a million uh, settlers in the in the West Bank, which is almost impossible now to create two state solution. And the current government is saying that they want to bring a million people there. You know. So anyway. Um, he was talking to these guys there, some of them never met Rabin, born after he died. And they say that demonstrating there for democracy, because they see that they're trying to they're trying to repair, they say the damage that was done during Rabin assassination. Uh, he writes, I never heard that before. Tom Friedman writes, Tammy explained that in 1995, assassination of prime minister Ishak Rabin by an ultra-nationalist was not just an attack on the Oslo peace process that he was leading. It was also an attack on the whole democratic process of Israel itself. So it's interesting how now in this demonstration, these things are coming up. Now, why is it relevant for us? Because I always told you, Saturn return is the most important thing astrology gave us. By far, as doing astrology for the last, what? How many years am I doing astrology? Quarter of a century, maybe. It sounds dramatic. And like, I think something like that. Yeah. Quarter of a century uh, that I'm officially, professionally, if you can call it, uh, doing astrology. And one of the things that is always coming, I always come back to Saturn return. Saturn return. Saturn is the most important thing. That's why, even in the tree of life, uh, the sphere that is associated with Saturn is understanding and it's considered to be associated with the Shekhinah, the feminine aspect of God. She's always pregnant with events, in a sense, pregnant with occurrences. And Saturn, now in 1993, we are officially in Saturn return. It started actually last year, the Saturn return of his murder, and that's when this awful government was uh, elected or formed, you can say. And uh, now in the demonstration, it is 28 years precisely to his um, death. So we're talking about Saturn return for Robin assassination happening this year and next year. Now, because the Palestinians announced their independence, not independence in a sense, their statehood or their striving for statehood in 1994, when the Oslo Accords were also being uh, negotiated, they're also going now through the Saturn return even stronger. So that's why I told you in the book of 2023, and I'm going to stretch it also in the book of 2024, that uh, the whole area there, Israel with the murder of Robin, which is a shock for, for everybody in Israel that There is such a thing as Jewish terrorists, and that coming to term with that, which now, of course, eh, one of these uh, people that supported this Jewish terrorist is actually in the government supposed to take care of internal um, security. I'm talking about uh, Gvir. Uh, what He's supposed to be a, a minister in this government. So you see what Saturn return could do. He has returned uh, an orc into the uh, government in a way. Uh, the demon is back in the government. And don't forget, Saturn is the ruler of Capricorn. Capricorn in the tarot card is the devil. So what we're seeing is this Saturn return, this returning of events or having to return to events, because that's what Saturn return is all about. It's tr- forcing us to look at events that happened 28, 29 30 years ago and igniting our memories and hopefully what we had to understand from back then that now we are seeing the ramification and we saw it in many many different say remember we talked here uh, during the covid how in 1991 2 3 we had the world wide web form that's why 2020 21 was very much about a saturn return of our use of the internet so All of these Saturn returns are happening again and again all around us, in a sense. It's like the string theory coming back to that place. So, again, this is going to be very, very dominant in Israel, in Palestine, in this whole area, because they're going through a Saturn return of such a big event. Uh, The creation of the Palestinian territories, in a sense, uh, that's when they got Jericho and got some self-ruling or self uh, uh, almost independence in some places and that's when israel had to deal with a jewish terrorist and what does that actually mean so that um a uh, returning right now in israel at least and you know there is a megaphone uh story-wise uh, around the middle east whatever happened in the middle east is projected everywhere it's been like that for What, four five hundred thousand years, maybe even more, considering the Homo erectus left uh, Africa around a million years ago and started walking through uh, Israel to get to Europe and then to get to um, Australia and then to get to America. They had to go through uh, the Middle East. That's why I told you that that area, it's a very narrow land that has been treaded by millions and millions and millions and millions of feet going up, going down going sideways this is the uh full moon for us on june 18 it's a sunday uh we have the new moon in 26 degrees gemini so it's towards the end of gemini four days before the uh equinox i guess the uh, sorry the solstice i guess the solstice will happen around the 22nd this year uh, because if it's 26 26 we have to have four more degrees in order to hit uh the uh, equinox sorry the solstice so we have a very Gemini New Moon, Mercury in Gemini, Moon in Gemini, Sun in Gemini. The Sabian symbol is a guy, no, a young gypsy emerging from the woods, gazes at the at far cities. Mm-hmm. Huh? Well, he is on a journey, the young gypsy, and he is emerging out of the woods, meaning out of nature, and he's looking afar. Uh, a way into civilization. Maybe there is that Gemini energy of civilization versus nature, uh, the untamed versus the civilized. Uh, it's very much like Gilgamesh and Enkidu, if you uh, look at it like that. So the idea is that this is a new moon that has to do with exploration, maybe travel, maybe a journey from a familiar place to an unfamiliar place, maybe from a place of safetyness in the wood to a place that's more like a, a concrete jungle in a way. But that's the Sabian symbol. And overall, the moon is getting good energy from uh, Saturn, a, a trine. It's getting good energy from the North Node and the South Node. There is no opposition to the moon, which is great. Um, squares, yes, there is only the square of Neptune, which we talked about, is a little bit heavy or a little bit kind of uh tiring and uh phlegmatic so you know just chill out next sunday i have to i have to teach a class on uh kabbalah thing next sunday yeah actually for kabbalah it fits it's uh, i told you some kind of awakening or the mystical level but there's also a little bit more of uh, confusion Uh, and you see venus is coming five degrees away from mars which is almost nothing she can actually see him from a distance maybe she can even smell him uh, but he is uh, and she's going to get closer and closer and closer and closer, even though he's kind of moving also. Uh, but then she's going to almost hit him. You'll see it in the next few weeks and then pff, go back. Uh, but the good thing is that we're still going to do our workshop in mean, our meetings here while Venus is going retrograde because I didn't want to leave you. Ah oh, know. Sorry. We're going to stop on the July 2nd, I think, is the last one. So, yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about Venus retrograde before. Um what else? Yeah, I was reading um, uh, some work of a psychologist called Raymond Car- uh, Cattell. Uh, maybe some of you have heard about him. I never heard about him, but I was listening to uh, an interesting talk about how Um, In the developing world, we have a big issue with aging. That was the uh, lecture uh, subject. And there was something about how uh, a lot of the developing countries, uh, they're having less children. I think that it was even in research that they found in Netherlands that uh, parents and kids are way happier if there's not that many brothers and sisters. I know it doesn't sound like uh, the happy family with seven, eight kids and all that. No, Apparently, two kids uh, is perfect. Uh, One kid is also good, but two kids is perfect because they have siblings and there's a lot of attention and energy and patience that the the parents can have over the kids. They're not dropping on the kids uh, to uh, take care of each other, which is what happened a lot of time in uh, families when there's 10 kids. And also uh, there's more resources, not only financial, but also patient-wise, spiritual-wise, intellectual there's more energy to invest in the kids and the kids tend to be happy as well as the parents seem to be much happier. And anyway, they were talking that there is obvious issues with aging, uh, develop in developing world. Of course, there's not enough money in the social uh, network, maybe uh, um, More, there's not enough people to do work and so forth. But one of the things that they were talking about that is under the surface, that we're not even aware of how difficult it might be in the future uh, with the aging problem in the developing world is that uh, there are. Two types of intelligence they were talking about. There is a crystallized intelligence, which talks about the long-term memory, and it's a kind of intelligence that grows with experience. And the crystallized intelligence referred to the ability to utilize your skills and knowledge acquired by a lot of experience with uh, learning. Uh, The use of crystallized intelligence involves recalling pre-existing information as well as skills. It's basically trial and error. Oh, I tried it before. I know how it works. Oh, or when I go to airports, I know where the uh, uh, coffee shop is. I know where you have to drop the, the luggage. I know the tricks of how to get in and out. That is my crystallized intelligence. I have been working on it. I know how to say it. It's like language. You develop more words, more vocabulary. I mean, normal people, not me. And eventually you're able to be very eloquent with that um, language you're using. That's crystallized intelligence. It's crystallized inside of you. It's locked there and it's locked because it's proven itself efficient, effective, and it works. Then we have another type of uh, intelligence called fluid intelligence. And at first, I didn't know that he actually wrote it in 1963. I just was reading it in general, and I thought, oh, everybody's using now fluid, iBinary. binary. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of people in Desantis and uh, in Florida are being very angry about an intelligence called after fluid. Uh, the next thing you know, they're gonna ban or cancel the word fluid. And I thought yeah that sounds um kind of too uh contemporary but then i've realized no it's from 1963 and if you think about it 1963 is the second saturn return of these terms so it's been 60 years so 60 years two times saturn return remember 27 to 30 uh, it takes 29 and a half years for saturn to go around the sun so uh, to certain return ago, uh, this psychologist, Raymond Cartel, came up with these ideas of dividing intelligence into crystallized, which is experienced, and into fluid intelligence. So apparently it's not some woke idea. It is actually anchored in 60 years of uh, uh, research. So fluid inter- intelligence is the, it's a different type. It's um, not using your past experience. It can very much de- be determined by your genetics. And it talks about uh, the capacity to think very fast, to reason flexibly, uh, flex- uh, flexibly flexibly, in order to solve new problems without relying on past experience. It's like when you're confronted suddenly with something new. You've never seen it. You've never heard about it. And now you have to come with some kind of intuition, some kind of um, new way of approaching something that you've never approached before. And this kind of intelligence apparently peaks around uh, the late 20s. Sounds familiar? Late 20s, 27, 28, 29 is your Saturn return. What happened to people in the 27 Club, they can't move from being fluid intelligence, James Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, into crystallized intelligence. So what happened in Saturn return, and Saturn is a lot of time talks about crystallization, like making things concrete and last forever is that it kicked in the age of 28 28 29 30 and then that when fluid intelligence starts going down and crystallized intelligence is starting to go up so, why is that important for the aging issue is what they say is that okay you worked on um being uh a, you know getting your safety net you have your uh retirement and everything and you want to spend some money because you're now retired and you want to go to uh, restaurants you want to go to movies you want to use even the new gadgets that they're developing the problem is that as the population ages We're going to have way more crystallized intelligence and not enough fluid intelligence because we don't have enough young people. So the biggest issue in the developing world is we're not going to have a Silicon Valley. We're not going to have Hollywood. We're not going to have... Places or hubs where there is a lot of new discoveries, new ideas, new concept, looking at things completely different. Of course, we'll have, of course, people don't lose completely their fluid intelligence, but the proportion of fluid intelligence in the society because of the aging issue in the developing world is going to get less and less and less. And therefore, we're going to have less invention, less uh, new medicine, less approaches that are new. And the other problem is that as, and it's really interesting because that already happens in a sense in politics, they've seen that even among the millennials, uh, as people get older, they tend to be more conservative, more traditional, they have more to lose. And they rely on on the good old days. I remember when I was in the 80s, or oh, I remember the 90s. Oh my god, I remember the 2020s, the great time of the pandemic, how fun it was. I'm talking about somebody 30 years from now, 40 years from now. So It is a common knowledge that as people get older, they tend to be more conservative. The fluid energy is more progressive in a sense. It's trying new things. It's uh, exploring new things. Some of the things suck. Okay, so they're not going to be crystallized. Other things are going to be amazing and they're going to be crystallized. So one of the dangers is that, but that's not our subject. What our subject is that when I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, it's actually really interesting because Aquarius, the sign that we're moving into, the age of Aquarius has two rulers, the traditional rulers, which is Saturn, and the modern ruler, which is Uranus, modern, from 1781, since we have the telescopes that were invented by an Aquarius, Galileo, and we can see further than Saturn. So Uranus can definitely be a, a metaphor or a symbol or a representative of a fluid intelligence. It's awakening, it's spontaneous, it's crazy, it's wild, it's uh, unpredictable, uh, unexpected. And Saturn can represent crystallized intelligence. It's long-term, it comes with experience, it kicks in after Saturn return, you know. So that kind of looking at Aquarius, and it's not looking at Capricorn versus Aquarius, like a lot of time people do with Saturn versus Uranus. People have to remember Aquarius also is ruled by the two planets. So even in the realm of Aquarius, which is the future where we're heading towards, we're going to head towards a time where there is the two rulers of Aquarius having a, an interaction between them. Now, what they don't recognize is the fact that fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence could be united by artificial intelligence in the future in the age of Aquarius. Because um, what they're not considering is the fact that AI is going to, going to provide a lot of the fluid intelligence and the crystallized intelligence obviously that young and old people are having so this is another excuse or another way of looking at how yeah artificial intelligence can definitely uh, replace us maybe at that moment of singularity when they can start creating their own um, improvements in a sense i'm talking about the ai so um that's part of that. Uh, what I thought about, in a sense, that uh, there is some kind of a definition of the future based on these two types of uh, intelligence and how they interact. And this is an interesting graph that I found about how the fluid and crystallized intelligence goes. As you can see, in the first few years of your life, up until the age of 20 or so, they're very much linked together. You're going to school and you're getting formalized Crystallized intelligence that you're tested on all the time because I taught you that three times three is nine, it's not 11. And at the same time, if you're in a good school, they help you develop your fluid and open like world of schools and stuff like that. You know, the, the, the ability to invent and to see things differently. What happens at the age of twenties in the twenties, when you start going to work, you see that there is some kind of, uh, there's a difference between the development, or let's say how the graph works. And right here at the age of 30, Saturn return, they split completely as the fluid one goes down and the crystallized is developed higher and higher. And that's probably because we specialize in something and we find something we really want to work on. And before, because knowledge is so vast, we have to choose a knowledge and then focus on it. Biology or astrophysics or whatever it is that your field is. And that's why you have to rely on the past. And it's also interesting because I thought about how a lot of mathematicians are actually uh, known for uh, being very fluid being able to look at things that has been crystallized for hundreds thousands of years mathematics and yet see things that other people cannot and usually what i've read even in uh, biographies of mathematicians is that if they haven't made it by the age of 30 they're not going to make it it's not like other you know like other um, fields that you can suddenly Get your uh, big uh, uh, aha moment or big contribution at the age of 40, 45, you know, in other uh, things you can do that. Think about artists that develop slowly. But mathematician is very cruel. If you didn't get it by the middle of 20s, end of 20s, you're done. Why? Because that's when you have your fluid and your um, crystallized working together. So I just wanted you to see that and uh, maybe it will inspire some further looking into or further research, uh, and trying to maybe pay attention. Oop, now I'm being uh, fluid. Ooh, now I'm being very crystallized in your intelligence. But again, I'm going to say goodbye to um, uh, the people in Los Angeles, and hello to the people in Europe and the Middle East, uh, at least in the Levant. I mean, not all of the Middle East. Thanks a lot for making it and uh, joining me, and I will send you my blessing, and maybe see you in person. Thanks a lot.